You can support the Double Loop Podcast by contributing at patreon.com slash double loop podcast. Thank you to our supporters, and we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Double Loop Podcast, your source for everything about fingerprints. While you're working on your comparisons, we'll talk about comparisons. I'm Eric Ray. And I'm Glenn Langenberg. All right, uh, today's a fun fact has to do with uh, some of my recent travels to uh, Paris. And uh, I learned that Albert Lamaurice um, is a, a French filmmaker, uh, most famous for his short film, The Red Balloon, uh, which mm. won um, the Cannes Film Festival, Palme d'Or, um, but also very famous uh, for a little game that, uh, a board game that uh, he invented called La Conquête du Monde, uh, which was released a few years later in American or English speaking world as Risk. Uh, so, oh, I, su- I suppose that makes sense. It's, it's yeah. you know, really famous for two very different things. So, that's kind of always fun to find people like that. Um, and, uh, con- conqueror of the world. Yep. Uh, before, I'll, I'll link in how that kind of relates to my travels uh, to, to France here in a minute. But I do want to first off start off with a, a reminder to everybody about kind of how how uh, the Double Podcast is being organized now with older episodes being available through Patreon.com. Anyway, we've got a few new supporters uh, this uh, over the past week or so. So to uh, Valerie, Natalie, and Miranda, thank you very much for uh, supporting us uh, on Patreon. And Glenn and I are looking forward to getting some new microphones soon to uh, improve uh, our sound uh, as you listen every day. Um, So, uh, like I said, I recently got back from my first uh, travel to, uh, to France. And, you know, like every tourist to France, I took the opportunity to... uh, poke around on meetup.com uh you're familiar with meetup.com uh, glenn uh yeah I've, I've used it in a few different travels and sadly i meet up with attorney groups or other forensic <laughs> nerds or such but uh i think i know where, where this nerdiness is going well well i've I, that sounds like a great uh, way to use it. i need to kind of look into that use of meetup but uh, so far i've just kind of used it to meet up with board game geeks to uh, to play board games and i've been doing that for a year or two here in the phoenix area but thought oh, maybe i'll try that in france so um i did some searching around on meetup found a group that was meeting up the the weekend i was going to be in paris and uh, kind of rolled into their group. They were very nice and, and let the stupid American join in with the with the, their their uh, their game night. And uh, so as not to kind of have them completely translate and teach me something new, I joined in on a game that I had actually played before, uh, one called Terraforming Mars, um, which is <laughs> super fun. Um, is that the prequel to Total Recall? Uh, <laughs> not quite. So this is what the board game does. You have to increase the oxygen percentage in the atmosphere from zero all the way up to, I don't know, eight or so, and increase the uh, the temperature <laughs> from like minus forty up, you know, above freezing. And you have to uh, build oceans and cities, and uh, it's a really, it's a really, it's a really good game. Uh, highly rated on BoardGameGeek.com. So I got to play against a few guys there uh, in Paris. I won, so you know. Oh, I didn't set back U.S.-France relations, but uh, 
<laughs> it was. I don't know. It was a lot of fun. Um, I also. I, 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 I have to ask though. Sure. I mean, during this game session, knowing what I know about the French, was there copious <laughs> amounts of wine and cheese present? No, actually, there wasn't. Mm-hmm. I. This was like a community center kind of area, a uh, kind of building. Oh. Uh, the conference, uh, which is the the Cogent Users Conference, this is why I was there. Um, now Jamalto, but they put on, man, what a great conference. And that was up in, uh, Chantilly, um, or Chantilly for the, uh, uh, for the Americans, um, which in my head immediately went to, oh, the place where they make the lace, you know, the lace. um, Chantilly the, lace, but it was a great conference. Uh, got to, to meet a lot of people that kind of maybe sometimes only get to go to these kind of conferences put on sponsored by, uh, APHIS groups or APHIS companies, uh, their users' conferences, which we talked about in a couple episodes ago. We did, we did. The value, the value of going to these user conferences. They're 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 very cool, and they're they. And from what I'm gathering, they brought in people like you and other folks, where it's not necessarily a sales pitch, but an educational opportunity exactly. to learn from other other examiners. While of course, at the same time, they're going to showcase their products, but it's not like it's presentation after presentation by salespeople. It's actually by experts in the field. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I had an opportunity at one point to go to that same cogent users conference, but it, it would have involved going to Europe for three weeks and <laughs> then um, waiting, I think, a week and then going to the cogent thing. So it would have been five weeks in Europe, which – Sounds awesome to me, but I do have familial <laughs> obligations and some work obligations back here. So, right. Uh, so, but I did go for three weeks, which was really nice. But I went to France and then went over to Switzerland, and it was great. I went for the European Academy of Forensic Science, EAFS, uh, which was in Lyon, France, which is, I'm sure listeners are well aware, but it is the home of Locard. Yes. And so I had a chance to... Uh, see where his you know house was and the laboratory and all that and get some cool pictures with some low card stuff it was it was very interesting i mean he was such a pioneer in the field of forensics and clearly in leon they you know respect and honor him appropriately oh that's great and and then uh the following week went over to switzerland back to lausanne back to my you know my PhD roots and had a chance to see basically the Lausanne family, you know, Christophe Champeau and Pierre Margot and Claude Rue were there and, you know, all these other students and, you know, people, uh, you know, that uh, that I went to school, school with and it was, it was very nice. It was a little bit of a homecoming and, uh, you know, I love the city of Lausanne. It was just, it's, it was really good to go back. I um the thing that I did in both of these places uh besides you know attend these conferences oh the Lausanne thing was uh the NC the European Network of Forensic Science Institutes and both of these conferences were great and they allowed for us to do a workshop and I had a chance to teach with Christoph Shampo and uh, a couple of other people uh, technician uh, Marco, who was great, and um, uh, Alex Biederman, who we've talked about his decision theory papers before in previous episodes, uh, they were part of this this workshop, and we taught a probabilistic workshop, not unlike what uh, Henry Swafford is doing in the in the U.S. It was a one day workshop 
on probabilities and using a Swiss prob probability model. They also now have a likelihood ratio model. And I was a little surprised about this because I wasn't aware of that completely. And I had a chance to use it and get access to it. And I guess over the next couple of months, I plan to start actually working on some validation work where I'm going to take some casework and... Uh, some previous study images and start running them through the model, see what kind of numbers I get, and had a chance to play with it a little bit there, had the students play around with it. It's pretty cool. It's uh, yeah. it's it, it's very similar to Cedric's original model. It's a little bit different. There's this distortion aspect, distortion model part to it, and it's got some real cool features, and then it's got a million fingerprint database that it searches the configurations in, and uh, it's being driven by Morpho, Morpho Biz, uh, Matchers, and uh, background software. So you can actually now autoencode your latent, launch it in a, in a, a likelihood ratio model. And it's, it's cool because you can take a latent during your analysis phase, and you can basically run a likelihood ratio on it and generate... A, and sort of estimated likelihood ratio that if you can find the perfect match to these features, what's the maximum likelihood ratio oh. essentially be able to figure out in the analysis rate? In other words, are these features discriminating? Right. Is this a useful latent print? Is this you know um, are these features just so non-discriminating that it's not even worth really taking into the comparison phase? It, it's a this estimator during the analysis phase well, based on minutia. That's that uh, is really cool. On the other hand, part of the whole idea of doing a, a likelihood, you know, ratio or a statistical approach to a conclusion is so you could compare those latents that never got compared before, where the only useful yeah. thing you can say is is a a probability. Um, mm -hmm. But effectively, you, you know, let's say that you're looking for a likelihood ratio of a billion to be in the range of identification. Right. You at least, you know, going into it, if you get a likelihood ratio of a million, you know, okay, this one's got some good features, but probably not the level of ident. Right. And it, it, can, it can give you that kind of information up front. And if you had some kind of system where you screen out latents or you give those to the more complex, you know, the more experienced or your better examiners, whatever – it's a useful tool up front, and um, I'm just glad now to have some access to it, and uh, we'll probably be using it in my private casework since, um, well, I, I think that's a nice transition to where I wanted to go with yeah, this. I was going to say, we need to get to this. It's, yep. It's uh, uh, Alice Cooper maybe said it best, right? Uh, yes. School's out forever. <laughs> Well, and the summer, but right. forever as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I've I, I let people know at the IEI I made that announcement that I was leaving my agency. And as of yesterday, it was my last day at the BCA and at the Minnesota State Crime Lab. Uh, now I'm on my own. So if I want to work a probabilistic case, I am going to do that. If I want to... I can do whatever I want, and I'm I'm kind of excited about that. I'm a little terrified about that. Uh, <laughs> yes. But, uh, you know, and it's nice. It's nice having now some freedom. I'm not going to talk smack about the agency because, frankly, I, I loved working for them. I love the people I worked with. I've got nothing but good things to say. Yeah, but, I mean, I know in the past I was very guarded about what I would say since I never quite 
really had permission to do a podcast <laughs> and I never really ran it through official channels but no one ever said anything so I was always sort of in this limbo of well as long as I'm not talking about the agency I can't see them having a problem with it but now that I'm on my own it's very freeing it's, it feels really good to cut the cord and go off on my own but it's also very scary I will tell you Eric um, affordable health care is a bit of a misnomer <laughs> That is a that is a um, poorly named thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. I can it is. Yeah, I will miss my government benefits. I will miss the steady paycheck, but it's 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 kind of cool. Um, now I'm my own boss, and I only have me to yell at. Well, uh, I, I yeah, I can only wish you the best, and and I am ex- like I said before when you first made the announcement. I am I am both excited and terrified for you uh thank you sir thank you uh, yeah that's that's great oh and 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 i I do have this to say too just bringing it back to some previous episodes so uh when i was done with work uh you know i turned in all my badge and wiped my hard drive on my computer and um (laughs) i I had to save i i i'm not kidding i think i had forty thousand emails going back to 2001 dumped them all into archives just cleaning house you know 19 years of being at this agency and then you know a whole truckload of boxes to pull out of my office papers and photos and uh, it's crazy I and mean, it really was like moving but when all was said and done i went out and had dinner with bart epstein okay and a, a couple of other friends uh a couple of defense attorneys i know and good friends head of the innocence project here in minnesota carrie hall was there so i went out and celebrated with people that i really wanted to spend some time with and uh bart uh, it was really nice having the dinner with bart and uh, seeing him before he goes back to Arizona here in a couple of weeks. And, <laughs> and I did talk to him about setting up something with uh, the Sam Shepard case. Yeah. Which, you know, we, we got to get – we got to record that with him because I, I still keep hearing great things about Bart Epstein's Staircase episode. He was such a great interviewee. And I think uh, I, I think listeners would enjoy hearing his take on the Sam Shepard, the th- – "Quote unquote fugitive case right. from the 1950s." You know, I I had no idea he uh, he, he snowbirds down here in, in Arizona. So uh, maybe we'll, yeah. we'll we'll uh, flip the script and and um, I'll bring the microphone to to him. Yep. Uh, on this side of things, um, that's a, that's exactly what I had talked to him about. Exactly. That, that would be that would be good to do that, and he's not that far from you. Oh, good to know. Good to know. So I'd just like to give a little love to Idemia, the global leader in augmented identity. Their technology has combined digital and cloud experience to bring efficiency and next-generation user experiences to their customers. Idemia has launched a new product called Case Aphis. It is a portable latent print examination tool supported by the full power of Idemia's flagship NBIS matching algorithms. And Eric, I've got one of these. It's great. It's totally standalone you don't need a connection to your main aphis or internet doesn't even matter what your main aphis provider is it's a standalone system no security issues no firewall issues no arguing with your it division no arguing with your CGIS or permissions none of that standalone system to be able to work your cases it enables you to search and solve 
complex and difficult cases faster by searching latent prints against your known prints on a case-by-case basis. It provides an alternative to examiners who would manually compare a set of latent prints against a set of known persons and suspects within the case, apart from your APHIS database. This tool will improve your casework efficiency and reduce erroneous exclusions, which we all know that you are a big fan of, Eric. <laughs> yeah. So learn more about Idemia and Case APHIS by contacting us at info.usa at idemia, that's I-D-E-M-I-A dot com. Solve your cases faster today with Case APHIS. All right, great. Thank you, Glenn, and thank you to Idemia for uh, for sponsoring another episode of the Double Podcast. So we're going to talk this week about a big topic that came up over the summer and um, was also talked about a lot at the IAI conference in San Antonio this year. But before I do, I, I almost forgot, I also want to mention that it wasn't just the trip to uh, France that I got back from. Just earlier this week, I also made a trip out to Long Island um, to the uh, New York and Connecticut division uh, conference mm. uh, conference out there. Uh, it was great. Everyone was was real nice, and I want to give a big thank you to uh, to Bill and everybody else who had me out. Uh, great seeing people out there in New York and hearing <laughs> all those uh, New York accents. Um, I think one of the funnest parts about traveling around is hearing all the different crazy accents uh, that, that that people have, and and New York, especially Long Island, <laughs> was was definitely full of them. And but, and isn't it just? I mean, isn't it amazing? I mean, we are so lucky and blessed to be able to be. We're fingerprint examiners, and we get to travel the world and meet other forensic people other professionals talk to other professionals we're so lucky i had no idea that this would ever happen i mean I, I really am very thankful every day that i fell into this community as opposed to crappy toxicology <laughs> yes the, or i was you know i was just actually saying to people because i i got to give my my palm print presentation and you were there down in Tucson hmm. for the first time I ever gave that presentation. I remember. Yeah, I was very ill. Very and sick. <laughs> I, I said, you know, what other field in forensics can you just kind of, you get you get into it, and, and man, just after like two or three years of being brand new in the field and even just finishing up training, I kind of got some inspiration from you and Alice and Pat about just, I don't know, have an idea, have a question, start counting things, and then that's research. And uh, I did that with the palm prints. Giving that presentation again just kind of takes me back to that to that, uh, cool. that time. Anyway, thank you to New York uh, and Connecticut for having me out. All right, so the research test. So Yeah, a little bit of controversy as you uh, a little pointed bit. out. <laughs> Uh, yeah, do you want to walk us through how this all started and where listeners can go and see the the genesis of everything here? Absolutely. On clpex.com, uh, there is a forum, a message forum. It's been around for, geez, forever. 2002 or three, maybe. Something like that. Uh, and you can even go back and look at all sorts of old topics and how the discussions kind of evolved over the years. And I mean, it's still you know an old school style message board. It's a it's a place where latent print experts get online and have discussions with each other. So earlier this year, in, uh, in late June, uh, there was a post by uh, Carl Speckles, uh, who works uh, here in the Phoenix Police Department lab, just kind of down the road from uh, from where I uh, work. 
And uh, he, the, the title of the first post was, I failed the IAI recertification test, all in caps. That, that's an attention grabber. It really is, and that is that is exactly what, you know, I've had conversations with Carl about this, that is exactly, was exactly his point, was to uh, grab people's attention and start a conversation uh, about the recertification test and how he failed. So uh, just for the listeners, because we do have some people who, you know, are a little newer to the podcast and maybe not even latent print examiners, quick background. So latent print examiners, after a few years of experience, can take a test through the IAI, International Association for Identification. They can take this test. They have to pay some money to take it, and it's a multi-part test where they're tested on pattern type, they're tested on uh, knowledge of the discipline and processing, and then ultimately have to take a practical component where they compare up to 15 latent prints against a set of exemplars, about 15 or so, and they have to identify a minimum of 12, or sorry, not identify, have 12 correct conclusions out of 15. They don't actually have to get all 15. It's a time test, and it's proctored. And then um, there's a fourth component about court testimony. You also have to do a moot court and blah, blah, blah. But then once you pass all these four, four components, you will be a certified examiner. It's kind of a big thing. Uh, back in the day, it really meant a level of excellence and a level of comparison skill and technique that's just said, you know, it's better than just the regular level. This meant something and has this connotation of, well, you pass this fairly difficult, challenging test, and it really does mean something in the field. And then every five years, you pay the exact same fee that you pay to take the original test to get recertified and you have to show your work and you got x number of points in the five years and they would send you out a test in the mail called the research test and then you had i think a month or so to do the test yep. and what we'll get into in a moment is that it had it in the in the field it has been considered notoriously easy especially compared to the original test. And there have been examiners over years, such as Pat Wertheim, Casey Wertheim, Ed German, and myself, who actually initially would not take the research test, and we elected to take the original test over again. So we would take the original test multiple times because we always figured if you can't pass the original test, you really shouldn't be certified. And this was a standard that we held ourselves to. And in, in recent years, I tried to retake it, and they wouldn't actually let me retake the original test. I had to take the research test, which I just I didn't argue about it until last year, which I'll get to, I'm sure, here in a minute. Um, just this year, literally a month ago, I took this new research test. So I once you, Eric, talk about <laughs> what's going on with all this, I'll give my opinion on it because I just took it. So right. I, maybe not the one that that was online, right? Not but this specific a, one. Is similar version, and I'll I'll give some insight to the version of the test that I, I said without giving anything away. Right. Right. So part of that history, the recertification test. Well, okay, let's back up even a little bit more, um, and just a little bit more details uh, on that. So the certification test. Uh, has always been, well, it's been for a very long time, these 15 latent prints, and in the time test, you have to get uh, 12 correct answers. In years past, uh, those 12, well, all 15 were uh, were idents. So examiners going in, part of the 
strategy of taking the certification test is that you knew that all of the latent prints were in the known somewhere. It was just a matter of finding them. All right, so quick point of clarification. The original certification test wasn't all IDENTS. Oh, okay. They actually changed that. And I, I want to say somewhere around the late 90s. Uh, don't quote me on the exact figure, but they changed it. And a lot of old school guys used to just bitch and complain about, you guys got it so easy. When we took the cert test, there was at least one non-ident in there. They used to just complain all the time about how <laughs> easy we had it. So just for a point of clarification, there there actually used to be at least one non-ident. Well, one, one, they would call it non-ident because that's the language back right. then. One impression did not match any of the others. Got it. And uh, when, at least when I took uh, the cert test the first time in 2009, um, that's what it was. All 15 were in there somewhere. Uh, you had right. to at least find 12 of them. Right. And you knew that. You knew that going in. Also, Did, did you go for all 15? I, I, I did just go for 12, but as I was sliding all the material back into the envelope, I've been searching for these things all day. And I finally got up to 12. I was like, okay, I'm just going to stop. I'm done. Because it, it was it was the hardest test I think I've ever taken. The, those comparisons were very difficult. Um, and maybe it's just because I only I was only two, a little bit over two years into the discipline. Um, but I am but, surprised to hear that. I mean, I remember when you started off, I remember your skill level. I am actually shocked you didn't do all 15. You, you, uh, that really surprises me. Well, it, it, that, I, I wonder how much uh, nerves of test taking nerves were involved here. That's true. I had, I had also, uh, I tell this story how uh, I went and took my, my lunch break because you're allowed to take a, a break and pause the clock yep. while you go get lunch because uh, it's an eight hour time test. I come back and I had eaten, um, I had gone to this really good Mexican place just around the corner from where the tech test was being proctored at. And I ate too much burrito and um, <laughs> then had difficulty leaning over with the magnifying glass onto the table. That's awesome. So I had to kind of hold it up in front of me instead. Um, so, but as I was... That is the best cert test story I've ever heard. Well, there you go. Um, so as I'm sliding the materials back into the envelope to give them back to the proctor, all of a sudden I see the target group that I've been, been looking for for hours. And so I was like, oh, well... I found it. I might as well write it up. So that was number 13. And then again, as I'm sliding everything back in, I again see the, another chart group I've been looking for all day. Do another comparison. I was like, well, there's number 14. So on my original cert test, I actually did 14 of the 15. Oh, um, huh, interesting. The, uh, the other one, I just I just never found it. But at that point, hmm. was like, eh, I'm done. I don't really want to you know, spend any more time looking for something when I had already passed the test. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I will admit that this is just that ego that pushed me to find all 15. I had to do it. Had to because Pat and Casey both said they did. And I'm like, well, I'm, <laughs> I can find it. It's got to be here. I should be able to find it. And that's just that's pure ego. That's just silliness. But right. it, it's I, I, I couldn't let it go. Sometimes that's in the makeup of latent print examiners, though, is that built that that ego of being of of proving to yourself, if no one else, that you're a good examiner. Um, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And, and because because you know it's there. So, right. of, of course, why can't I find it? Of, of course I should be able to find it. Right. I only have 15 people to look at. It's got to be Only here. 15. 
<laughs> yes, only 150 fingers to, to go through. And also at that time, the samples that you were given weren't actually ground truth examples. Uh, That's they, a good point. That is rarely brought up, and this is a, actually a really interesting point. Uh, they were so the International Association for Identification has a certification board, uh, and that board would create the test. And at that time, uh, everyone would just bring in the hardest comparisons they'd ever done, and then hey, that's the certification test. So skipping forward a few years, the International Association for Identification decides that they're going to uh, have their certification program accredited. And part of that accreditation process means that their samples have to be known, ground truth known, that they're going to use to create the test. So a few years back, they uh, the certification test gets revamped a little bit, where yeah. not only do all the samples now have to come from known people, so you have to leave a latent print with a, a finger or palm that you know where it came from, and then include or, or not that sample. So then just by that kind of definition, the test gets a little bit easier because it's not just the hardest comparisons that this group of people have ever seen, but is, you know, somewhat difficult to moderate comparisons that are created, uh, you know, specifically for this test. And at this time, they also move forward in putting in one and only one is kind of what is leaked out to the latent print community uh, exclusion, meaning that there's a latent print in there that doesn't have a corresponding exemplar to go with it. Now, the 12 out of 15 still applies. So you could make 12 identifications or you can make 11 identifications and one exclusion. But... Yeah. If any of your identifications were wrong, or if you said exclusion when it was really there, for either of those scenarios, you would fail the test. Right. And and then I, I think it used to be a year to retake it, but now it's six months maybe. Uh, do you recall the... the I believe that's correct, um, but I believe it's different for if you have an erroneous identification. I think it's still a no, year. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, before I you're allowed you're right to, uh, to retake the test. Yeah. Also, if you don't finish the test and find all 12, then it's six months before you can retake it, right? Right. And that's another strategy that some people um, uh, uh, are training for is at least get through the written portions of the test. And if, um, if you run out of time on the compar comparison practical portion of the test, then you don't have to retake the written portion. When you go back six months later to retake it, you can use the full eight hours for the comparison portion. Good point. So um, at this point, though, the recertification test is still the same. And what that is, is five latent prints that are all very big, very clear, very easy. And, um, and not even kind of the same, the, the same um, materials as like the, the full certification test. It's kind of mailed to you and... There's not even like an answer key. You're just, you're writing down the answers on like the back of the, the printout. So it's, I don't know. When I first got that recertification test, I was surprised at how, uh, what's the right word? How, not simple, but um, how like unprofessional the test seemed without like mm. an answer to write it in. It's just, 
it was the instructions were just flip over the printout that you have there, the photo printout, and just write what your answers are on the back of the uh, of the piece of paper of what the the photos came on. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I think I know what you're saying. It seemed very anticlimactic after taking such a difficult original examination to have this very perfunctory test that you just kind of go through the motions on. Right. So um, to put it in, in some other perspective, uh, also out there uh, in the latent print field is uh, proficiency tests. Um, the probably biggest supplier, at least in North America, that uh, is a company called CTS, uh, Collaborative Testing Services, uh, and they put out a a test for uh, lab systems to purchase and give to their uh, their employees. Ooh, guess who we should be hitting up for some advertising? <laughs> or, or RSNA, RSNA, Ron Smith and Associates. They also do a proficiency test. They do. Maybe one. Maybe one of them would like to advertise their proficiency tests on our podcast. The my impression of because that's what I've my uh, labs always purchases are the CTS tests. And Same here. my impression of those is that they're usually fairly easy. The certification test that I originally took from the IAI was much harder. The recertification test mm-hmm. I took from the IAI was much easier than CTS. So uh, now that's kind of all the history. Now leading up to um, what mm-hmm. Carl posted uh, in late June earlier this year uh, is that the test has been updated over a couple years ago now. The, uh, the yep. recertification portion has been updated to be much more like the certification test. So um, it's, uh, much, it's the same kind of test examples. They're more difficult. Not as difficult as I would, in my opinion, as the ones way back when it was um, not ground truth known. Uh, did, did you did you take the research the new research? I have not yet. I've only taken the the old oh. research. Uh, I'm due up oh, in then, two years. Then how do you know the difficulty? Uh, just from what they described at the conference. Oh, I see. Okay, all right. Um, I mean, and having just taken, I'll just mention there there are ten latent prints instead exactly. of three or five or whatever. There are ten, and uh, I'll I'll get to my thoughts later. But yeah, I mean it um, it definitely upped the ante. So now with this recertification test, uh, instead of like the certification test where you have to get 12 uh, of the um, comparisons, give correct conclusions on 12, you can leave three blank if you want. If you do all 15 of the original certification test, you do have to get all 15 correct. You, you, right. If you make any mistakes, then you still fail, but you only right. have to give 12 answers in order to pass. Now, with the recertification test, you you have 10 samples to get through, and you have to get all 10 correct. Now, instead of a time test over eight hours, you do have 30 days to go through it. Um, But a single erroneous exclusion uh, means that you fail the test. So here's some of the points that I want to get to. because So Carl, in his original post, described how um, he failed the recertification test because he reported an exclusion... Um, that was not an exclusion. It should have been an identification. Uh, we've talked for years now on this podcast and especially the classes I teach about how in the latent print world, uh, many people, including myself, don't think that an erroneous exclusion should be treated with the same severity as an erroneous identification. So that's going to be kind of one thing that comes out here. 
and just kind of kind of go over the big bullet points and then we'll kind of go into detail here whether or not requiring all 10 to have answers makes this a inherently more difficult test than the original certification test where you only have to get 12 out of 15 how this uh, there's a particular sample that caused uh, evidently a 9% error rate from what uh, the II discussed at the conference uh, this summer, and that was primarily those erroneous exclusions. One thing that I, I think is in the subtext of the message board here, but I've heard a lot of people offline to say, is that not so much blaming the test or um, the test materials or the test design as the, of this higher error rate, but saying that most people failing the test are supervisors or not actively comparing every day and maybe that's the reason why they're failing instead of uh, a specific issue with the test the last thing i want to talk about is is this whole presence of a core delta oh you and i we're gonna have a fun episode i it's it's a shame it's it's taken us 45 minutes to get to the good stuff but i i think this is gonna be (laughs) You and I were debating before we started if we're going to have enough material. I said we I just would. Realized we're going to have enough material. I, I told you we would. Um, All right, and I, I can't wait to talk about this. So, <laughs> um, I have been unofficially told that the certification board in designing the test they they do include at least one or maybe even just one exactly one non ID or exclusion in the test. Um, so you have to get that one right as well in the 10 samples. But they, in sh- since they know that some agencies have a policy that requires a core delta, that exclusion then has to have a core delta in it when they put it in the test. So how did you know that, by the way? I've just heard it through people who know. Mm, interesting. Uh, like, I mean, I, I won't say anything, but going into the test... That was my logic, was they know that enough agencies have this requirement. So I suspected, just like CTS, that any impressions that were going to be non-ident were likely going to have some kind of focal point, knowing that perhaps half of your participants by agency policy would not be able to exclude. So I mean, I had that in the back of my head. I won't confirm or deny if that's true or not. But when I went into the test, I actually had that as a thought process. So uh, there are some people that are aware of this, and I think some people that aren't aware of this. So the people that are aware of this then know going into the test, if if they can't find it, but it doesn't have a core delta, then I need to keep looking because it has to be here. It can't be an exclusion. But if it does have a core delta and I can't find it, maybe that's the exclusion. Yeah, I mean, that, that that to me was actually how I entered into the test. Again, I will not, because I don't want to give away the results, so I won't confirm or deny if that's true, but that is how I walked into the test. Right. Just for the record. And then but, the, but that was just basic logic. And so then the final thing then in this test is that inconclusive is not allowed, even though it is a standard conclusion in the late print field. It is, it is right. not a permissible or accepted answer in this test because all of the samples have been vetted through other latent print experts to either be identifications or exclusions. So if you don't reach identification or exclusion correctly through all 10 samples, 
then you also automatically fail. So, those so are kind of, let, can, can we take that one? Because I think that's that a one fun first? one to start with. Okay. Yeah. Be, so, because, I mean, I, I, I get the element of it. Because obviously if you just go in and write down 10 inconclusives and go, mm, well, you know, that's BS. So I, should you get one freebie? Should you get an inconclusive? Um, take it away. What do you think? Well, in my opinion, okay, so I have kind of two thoughts here. Uh, first is in in the test as it is, if someone, first of all, reaches an erroneous identification, that's a fail. I mean, that's just, that's a serious enough mistake that that's just a fail. If you if an examiner can't find a specific latent print, uh, in the original test, that's kind of that's kind of built in. There's the assumption that you know, in the eight hours of the test, you may not be able to find everything, so you only have to find twelve. Their logic is well, since you have thirty days, then we expect you to find them all. And I'm not sure if that logic holds of being able to find them all, uh, given the more time. If you can't find it, and you know. I can't find it, but I'm not convinced in an exclusion. I just can't find it. Inconclusive is supposed to be that safety net that you can reach in that exact case. So, in the test as it's designed here, I think that uh, if you can't find it, but you know you don't want to make the mistake of saying exclusion, you should be allowed to do so, and then either the test is set up so you only have to do 10 out of 12 or 8 out of 10 or 9 out of 10, something like that. So you can just leave that one blank and still pass the test. Or uh, that it's designed where if that's the case, it's kind of a foul ball. You know, you you don't pass, you don't fail, you don't have to wait. You just get to take uh, take the test over again, presumably with the second set, uh, uh, the second test that's available out there for you to take, you can find everything that time. So I think... Either one of those, maybe, or either one or both of those combinations would be a better way to handle it than what's what's happening right now. So that's interesting. So if I understood you correctly, if you say inconclusive on this one, it's sort of a, well, you didn't pass, you didn't fail, but we'll give you another shot with a different test and a different set and see how you do on that one. And on that one, you better find them all or exclude when appropriate. Right. Uh, Or, just like the original cert test, don't require all 10. Only require that you give answers on 9 out of the 10. Hmm, interesting. Uh, I think either one of those things would be be appropriate. And we're kind of getting back into one of the other points here. But um, it's almost like the research test is designed to be more difficult than the original cert test. Uh, just by the requirements yep. of what is set up. And I don't think that's sure. appropriate. I think that the cert test and the research test should be the same or approximately the same difficulty. All right. So now I'm going to jump in and now I'll, I'll share some thoughts. So having just take the, taken the research test and I didn't even know when I took the research test, we were going to have this podcast no, no. episode, but I took the research test and I sent them a letter back with it with some thoughts that I had. Some of them I can't share because it reveals some aspects of the test. But what I told them was, this test caught me off guard. This was a lot harder than I was expecting, but it was fair. It was hard, but fair. And I and I will stand by that. I mean, we, we can disagree on, you know, it's interesting the ninth or 10th one, you get one inconclusive and you retake. I, I kind of like that approach. It was definitely hard. And knowing that I had 30 days 
Although I got back from Europe and the test had been there, so I actually only have one week to do the test. But that said, uh, I walked into it expecting a regular research where, okay, this will take me an hour at most. Oh, no. I got into this and went, oh, turn off the headphones, close the door, turn off my phone. I got to actually pay attention during this test. That surprised me. I didn't realize that it was going to be difficult. And what I actually wrote in the letter to them was, this was on the level of the original cert test. And I thought it was tough, but fair. And that was that was my, my response to it. Um, I, I ended up passing. I got everything right. And I made a few comments to them about some of my observations about the test. But ultimately, if I, I took the position that if, if you know going into this, you got to get all 10 of them. It's fairly reasonable. I mean, I think it, it is reasonable knowing that you need to do every single one of these. And you don't get a little bit of wiggle room with the, the ninth. It just made me focus. Now, it took me four hours, I think, to get through it. Maybe three. Um, what frustrated me was I didn't have an ability to document, which I found out later that I did. Because I read the instructions and it said that you can't digitally do anything with them. You can't digitally capture these, blah, blah, blah. But then when I wrote the letter and I got an answer back from them, and I mentioned that as a criticism, they said, no, you can capture them. You can scan them in. You can work them in Photoshop. But you can't save them and you can't search them in any kind of system, i.e., Case APHIS at Idemia <laughs> that we just talked about uh, right. offers, which was my actual thought that I had in my head was, oh my god, I could save myself two hours of time if I just scanned this into the Idemia Case APHIS that I had. I did not do that. I was I, I, I followed the rules, but oh my god, there is this temptation. I have to say, uh, because there is one that I really struggle with to find, and I I spent thirty minutes looking for it. I eventually, you know, reached my conclusion, um, and uh, I just kept thinking, "Oh, if I had case safest, this would have been so fast." Right. That said, I found out later that you can scan them in and document, and that's probably what took me the longest amount of time was adjusting to the old school of. Oh my god! I got to pull. I had to find two pointers. Yes, like I had to find pointers to put under the 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 my my two loops and go. How did I used to do this ten years ago? Oh right, okay. Put the one there and the one dot there, and then moved it. But that was the hardest. That's what took me the longest amount of time was making the decision under the glass because I haven't made the decision under the glass probably since I took the original cert test. Right. No, um, and and uh, we'll get into that here in just a second. But just to to kind of go into to the point about all ten out of ten. I am. I mean, I know where you're coming from. I just thought having taken it with these images, tough but fair. I, I do applaud them for moving from the the five super easy ones into this system. That is yep. the the same level of comparison same level of latent as is on currently the cert test however that requirement of getting all 10 it, it well and you know it, it, it seems to ramp a... up the difficulty in a way yeah, that i i don't think it's appropriate to have a research test where examiners may decide you know what i don't want to deal with this tell you what i'll just i'll just yeah. I'm just going to take the regular cert test again because getting 12 out of 15 in eight hours is easier than getting all 10. And uh, there was lots of mm, arguments. Interesting. 
there were a lot of arguments about, well, you've got five more years experience, so you should be able to take, uh, you know, do harder work. And I'm like, okay, yeah. hold on. No, 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 no. Certified, certified is certified. There, You don't become extra certified after you've been, you take the research test. It should be the same level of difficulty. Well, okay, so that's interesting. The original research, or sorry, the original test took me, I think, five hours to do. Because back then you needed six. It was only six hours, I think, to do. It yes. went up to eight. So I think the original one took me five, but that's because I went for all 15. I think I was done at the three-hour mark. But I went for those last, you know, three. Right. And, but that included all the other parts, you know, the knowledge the base and part, the pattern right. type. Yep, okay. So this one took me three hours or so to do. Again, I was expecting only half hour, 40. I was expecting, well, again, proficiency level time. I'll be done with this in an hour. And, I, I again, I, I'm, I'm not kidding. I went, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, I, and I had to stop all my distractions, turn everything off, and I think it took me three hours. So it, it it's kind of on the same par as the first test for that level of difficulty, but you're right. There's no little safety net, but that just meant focus, look, and then be sure about your decision. And I, I feel it's reasonable. I really do feel it's reasonable. So what you're saying, like I hear what you're saying is that the, the time it takes is very much similar to what you're used to as a regular cert test. I think so. And I definitely think the samples are fair, but just the requirement oh. for <laughs> all 10 pushes it uh, you know, to, to a level where I, I think it would be more appropriate to, uh, to have the one you don't have to find. Because then that's another whole, whole aspect. What are we testing here? Are we testing your ability to find things mm. when that's not really a skill that's... That's okay. Um, well, that's and and necessary. That's anymore? where I agree with you. Yeah. Look, uh, look at, again as a proponent of case aphis, I agree that this all now hinges on finding things, not the decision. So that's a whole separate issue. Exactly. Uh, and let, let, we can get into and and it's clearly the bulletin board uh, discusses that and discusses how. Should it be a test of finding? Well, the original has always been that kind of thing, other than test the knowledge-based part. Yeah. Right. Uh, but it was still mattered about finding it as opposed to your documentation or these other things. Um, look, I would love to move more into the decision-making model, but how do you grade that? How do you make that a conformity? How do you... De- I have plenty. I have plenty of issues with people's decision making in the, whereas finding something is relatively, you know, it's straightforward. It's a yes or no. It's there or it's not. So what I would say on that is, yeah. So that's another whole thing. What about we moving to a test that tests basically to the limit of of the examiner, to the limit of where. Maybe most of the samples are like what's already there, but there's maybe a couple samples in there where reasonable examiners would reach different conclusions of either idea or inconclusive or exclusion and inconclusive. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. the test is then graded not necessarily on what your answer is for that sample. And it's not all samples are like that. Some samples, ID is the only correct answer or exclusion is the only correct answer. But there's some that's that, very true. That, I'll go with that. That have uh, where either or could be a correct answer but you're also graded on your uh the basis for the conclusion that you reach 
So then that's what everyone's been saying is, oh, you can't grade that. That's just so subjective. What do you, oh my goodness, I can't, how do you grade something like that? I'm pretty sure that the IEI has other certification programs and uh, those other certification programs have other subjective mm-hmm. level. Uh, maybe I'm thinking of maybe the footwear comparison. Um, oh, I, I was thinking more of bloodstain pattern. Crime scene, bloodstain pattern, where you have to describe the basis for your conclusion, and that's part of, partly what you're graded on. It's not like we're reinventing the wheel here and, and just, oh, there's we've never had, no one's ever had to do this before of grading the reasoning behind a conclusion that's impossible we can't ever do it for latent prints well other other disciplines have yeah. done this before it's, it's we could just yeah, I, hey it, what are you guys it'd doing be interesting yeah yeah i see where you're coming from it'd be interesting to see them you know uh test pilot that and they could test pilot the conference it wouldn't have to be anything you know um binding but you have a few certified examiners take you know a prototype and see what you get and how people would grade it uh, I mean, I, th- I think it would take some time and investment. And, let- and let's... Look, I mean, the Bolton board really took some shots at the certification board. And let- let's remember, these people are volunteers. These people <laughs> yes. are not being paid for this. And they got a lot of flack and, and very angry people. And I had no idea uh, the level of emotion and hostility. Now, you attended the presentation at the IAI. Yes. You want to tell listeners a little bit about that and the emotions that were running there? Yeah. Well, um, so a, a lot of it is, is somewhat similar to to the message board. The message board probably got even a little bit more heated than than the uh, the, the presentation in the room. Um, and it kind of went back and forth because okay, so when the the post was first made, when Carl first made that, there were some um, comments made. I commented, uh, and it kind of went back and forth. So just to kind of go a little bit off track before coming back to what, what you just mentioned there, I, I feel strongly that an erroneous exclusion, a single, sorry, a single erroneous exclusion shouldn't mean an automatic failure of the, the certification or the recertification test. Uh, at, hmm. at worst, um, it's, it's like I said, a foul ball with, with, with a do-over. Um, so I, uh, and, and just, I, I might disagree with that. I, I think... Going into it knowing the stakes that you need to get these right and you know the severity, I'm okay with that for those purposes. Yeah, given the test, I don't have a problem with that. So, so we disagree on that point. We, yes. Um, I think the data out there is clear that erroneous exclusions are common and inevitable. Having the same consequences as an erroneous ID, I, I think, is just too much. Um I think it's it's totally appropriate to say, all right, you you didn't find this one, and you said exclusion. Maybe things would be different if there was some sort of you know guideline posted in the test as to what what an exclusion should be based on, what what the people mm-hmm. designing the test should be based on. But at this point, sure. where there's nothing, and it's just the way it's currently designed. I just I just don't see it as being the appropriate uh, to fail from a single erroneous exclusion. Now now I'm going to flip on my own position here because <laughs> I well I'm I'm going to double down on I I do think it for the purpose of the test I don't have a problem with that. My biggest problem the criticism that I did share with the you know with the committee was that 
My biggest problem was I should not have been competing against the known exemplars. And my biggest issue was that you know, with a typical exemplar, you've got you know the palms and the fingers. And so you've got a rolled plane impressions and your palm impressions that captured some of the fingers and joints. Right. What I what really frustrated me was the rolled was terrible, the plane was terrible. And then you get over to the palm print and go, okay, well, actually, that shows that area pretty well. Oh, all right. Well, this is the exemplar to be using. What I hated was that the exemplars were not clear in all instances. And to me, given ground truth and all that, that's the one thing I told – and if the committee is listening, I'm not pulling punches on that. That to me was sort of unacceptable. There's no reason you can't have the best exemplars possible in all instances. If you expect exclusions and full IDs on ah, all ten, I should not have been competing. I should not have been competing with the exemplars, and that was my biggest problem. Was I had to actually make sure I checked all three because they were very different beasts. I mean, the the roll sometimes was terrible, especially on the little fingers, as yeah. you might know. Yep terrible in the rolled the plane didn't do real well maybe if you got the right palm and you you'd see the whole thing you go okay well now i've seen it all but i mean i that's my problem those exemplars should have been absolutely pristine and there's no reason they couldn't be when you've got the ground truth source right so that's my biggest criticism that's and that's that's absolutely true, especially for the exclusion side of it. Is you need to have mm-hmm. all those, but then again, that's the way the test has always been. I remember um, yes. getting advice yes. from from people back in the day that said, uh, make sure you check not just the roll, not just the plane, but the palm version of all the fingers, because sometimes the exemplars are hidden that actually match or kind of hidden there uh, instead of on yeah. the temperate card. And, and, and similar to casework, I mean, I don't fault them on that. That happens in casework. Before this test, where all 10 are required, including possible exclusion or so, better have damn good exemplars. That's all I got to say. Because in casework, my answer is inconclusive, need better exemplars. Right. And that's not an option here. So, uh, logically, these exemplars better be friggin' pristine. Especially now that you have the exclusion as as one of the uh the correct answers requirements um, requirements of the test. so uh so that's kind of goes into the next thing is that since that's basically what it seems like they've decided or what i've heard they've decided is that all the exclusions are going to have a core delta at least the core delta i think that should be clear for for all people and not just rely on the people that are in the know or the people that can logically deduce that uh, to figure that that out. If that's going yeah, to be, yeah, just the, don't expect the exemplars to have the core and delta. And that's absolutely. Um, but that should be part of the instructions or the preamble or some part of the test of what the test makers are using as a standard for exclusion. Since that's what I like that I've heard that they are doing. Um, no, I, I, actually, that's another fair point. I, I actually really like that. Letting people know up front, understanding that because core and delta or focal points are a requirement of many agencies, as the test designers, we have decided that. I, th- I th- actually think that's that, that would be a fair tip of the hat and recognition of those policies. So in the discussion at the conference, they, they went over 
kind of how the test is created, uh, how the test is uh, validated with lots of other people looking at it. Uh, and then they also put up the sample of the latent print that caused this 9% error rate. Oh, we should be able to put that on our website. I, I that is the plan. Website. I think this might actually be the 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 cover photo for this episode is a picture of that latent. Um, mm. uh, I'll make sure to put a link to it. I'm pretty sure you can see it on Ed German's site onin.com. So, looking at that print, you've got basically the tip towards the side of a latent print. It's on a, a surface that where just the the finger kind of has a gap, so you're kind of missing part of the print. You can kind of tell where the core is, but you can't see the core clearly. One of the big complaints uh, at the conference was they put up the latent print and they put up, oh, 20 some odd points uh, that they had marked out in the latent print. Uh, we didn't see the exemplar, just the latent, but they then marked out all these points. I, In my opinion, they were a little overzealous with the, the point markup, but in getting a copy of it and analyzing it myself there are plenty of minutiae there for uh, identification but it's it, it might be challenging to find now that you're searching through dozens and dozens of fingers uh, you know 100 different fingers to find the one that corresponds or not finding it anywhere and then having you're trying to figure out whether or not to say exclusion one thing i noticed um, and, and this is part of the, the exclusionology class that I teach, is that uh, as, after you mark everything up in the latent print, you're then, you then the next step is to pick out a target group. What points am I going to use to search for this? And basically all of the minutiae groupings, that's what you usually look for, is a, you know two, three, four points that are nearby that you can memorize and then look for through all the exemplars. All of them have... Uh, minutiae that are opposing each other so like when i say imposing minutiae i mean like an enclosure or a short ridge or two points where if you draw the tails the tails are pointing opposite directions and distinctive features yeah they're very distinctive but if your exemplars are a little distorted they can also disappear because since you have two events happening they can kind of cancel each other out and then just look like straight ridges and you just go right over top of it and not see it in the known. Um, so I think just as kind of a unofficial analysis of why there might be a higher error rate for this latent print, I think it's this combination of not having a core delta and these minutiae being ones that, uh, while normally stand out great and are easy to find when you do the search, they can also when there is distortion, can easily disappear as well. So without having the known at this point, uh, that would be kind of what I think might be going on that led to this higher error rate. All right, so what about the theory, as discussed at the IEI, that the people who made this error rate basically were people who, not actively doing a lot of casework, supervisors had been out, I mean, there was a statistically significant difference in those who were actually making the error. Thoughts? There were some. Um, however, the largest group uh, of all the different groupings that they showed at the conference, the largest group was just regular bench-level examiners. It wasn't like, you know, all of them are supervisors or, or not active. Um, the largest grouping was 
uh, just regular old examiners. So, oh, did I? I'm sorry. Did I? Am I misremembering that? I thought they had data that showed proportionally there was a higher incident of failure rate amongst those who weren't actively doing casework. I mean, at the same rate that they used to at the bench. Right. Did I miss that? No, no. What I'm saying is that when they they when they put up the graph saying of the nine percent that that failed the test, you know, they grouped it out as to you know this many were supervisors, this many were retired, you know, etc. Mm-hmm. The largest group was just regular examiners. Now, as a pro- really, oh, okay. Now it was like forty percent, forty five percent were regular examiners then you know there were other groups so i think if you totaled up all the regular examiners and you totaled up all other examiners into one group then that was bigger oh i'd have to look again i I, so yes i I believe that's what they said is that there was a statistically significant portion of the group were not regular bench level examiners however wouldn't just my recollection of looking at that slide when they showed the underlying data, and I, I could be wrong on this, but I wasn't convinced that that was actually statistically significant. Well, uh, so, I mean, just I'll, I'll add my experience here. After taking the research test, I thought to myself, and, you know, you're, you're disputing maybe the, you know, their, uh, the committee's data or how they presented or how they calculated it. I thought to myself, oh, yeah, this actually requires a little bit of comparison experience, especially comparison experience under the glass. That's what what was really key. It wasn't just regular experience. It was, I need to remember how to use a loop, and these are old-fashioned tools that I was trained on that I've not used in 10 years. I mean, that's what, what struck me is how easy this would be to potentially fail if I don't look at cases every day under a glass like a lot of examiners. So when I heard that, it did not surprise me at all. In fact, I think I proposed that to several committee members, not having seen the data, that my guess is that it's people who are actually out out of the quote-unquote loop, L-O-U-P-E, who aren't doing a lot of casework. And you know, and look, and this is the you know, one thing I you know, like. Like you, I know Carl. I love Carl. He's a great guy. But I remember when I saw his post, and you know, the anger and the uh, the frustration and all that. There was a little bit of, I mean, especially if people started piling onto the committee. I mean, I felt a little defensive. I hadn't taken the test yet. I kind of thought. Yeah, but is this a side effect of the test is doing its job? If you would that person be able to pass the original research? And that's my ultimate question right now. And Eric, this is what you explored earlier: was you think it's harder? I'd love, I'd love that person to be able to take the original research and see if they can actually pass it. And and they probably could because of the twelve out of fifteen. You mean the original and eight cert. hours? The original cert, right? Because um, going back to the, my statement at the top of the show, Pat Wertheim, Ed German, Casey Wertheim, me, this is why we objected to the original research test was this is why you should take the, the cert test over because if you can't pass the cert test, right. you shouldn't remain certified. So now I go back to Carl and these other individuals who were very angry about the test who didn't pass it. Well, could you pass the original research? 
now that they failed the research, right. do they have to go back and do the the original cert test? I I believe so. Um, or do they get a research? I think they. After I think they do. They. I think they get another chance at the research. See, I'd like to see them go back to the original because if they can't pass the original, then I would argue the committee's right. The test has the right difficulty. If you can't pass the original, you shouldn't be recertified. If they can pass the original but not the research, then you're right. Then the difficulties aren't the same. Um, so again, I think it, the difficulty is 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 absolutely on the on the research one. And we do we do have an answer here. Um, so every examiner that has failed the research test and mm-hmm. has take retaken the research test, the other you know research test because right now there's there's two copies of of uh, the research test so if you fail one then when you retake it you just take the other one uh but every not every person who's failed it has retaken it yet but every person who has failed it and retaken it has also passed uh the research Mm -hmm. test well okay well that doesn't tell me because i want to know is every person that failed the research test when they retake the original cert test can they still pass the original cert test that's what i want to know and and since the certification board has said that the uh, the latents uh, the difficulty of the comparisons of the latents in the new research test is the same as is in the current cert test, then I would have to say yep. yes because it's basically the same test except the only difference being twelve out of fifteen yep. in eight hours versus yep. ten out of ten in thirty days. And and my experience was. They're absolutely the same level of difficulty. It really was my experience. The 10 out of 10 made it a little harder, but I only had 10 to deal with, and the original cert test had more difficult ones. Right. So in my experience, I mean, they, these things balanced out. They really were the same difficulty. I know I could pass the original cert test, and I passed the research test. It just surprised me at how difficult it was compared to what I was used to. Because you had just gone through so many years of knowing that the research was super easy. And that's what right. they, they just they tried to do is make it the same. Um, yeah. And, and and honestly, I think they did. I mean, just based on my experience, I right. think they, they accomplished that. Um, again, I, I applaud them for making it the same. I would just say that I think that the requirement of how many to complete should be uh should be the same or uh similar yeah and and i like that that middle ground i think you even on clpex uh, listeners should go to clpex and see your comments in a sea of anger frustration and crazy let's burn burn them let let's take our pitchforks and our torches and burn those committee members you are um a voice of reason well, in the chaos. And that's what I wanted to get to next is saying that while I'm so far, I have been a very try to push forward of this is what I think the test should move into to be different and be improved. Oh shit. Hold on, dude. You need to be on the cert committee. <laughs> that's no, it's serious. It's serious. You should apply for the cert committee. It's, it's, it's obvious now to me. You should apply for the cert committee. I I will consider that. You you be good for it. Have some have some conversations with some of the people because the way to get elected onto the cert committee is uh, to be voted on by the people already on the cert committee. So um, yeah, but but I think they <laughs> probably are aware of your comments and your right. voice of reason and wanting to improve. I 
I would fully support that. I think you would be a great committee member for that. I, I really do. I never thought about it to this moment. That would be your perfect house. You'd be great for that. Well, well, thank you, Glenn. Um, but I, I do want to say, while yeah, so far this episode, I've been saying this. I think is what needs to be improved. This is what I think is wrong with the test. Uh, I'm going to switch over to now what you've been kind of doing is of getting on the cert board side because on the the comments on the CLPEX board, which it started off as a more of a discussion about what was going on with the test because I had no idea that this high failure rate was happening that any of this was going on me neither and yeah. I was really glad that Carl posted about all that and then there was a maybe Agreed. a page page and a half of comments where it was like debating of how what kind of different nuances to get into and then all of a sudden it took a turn and it was it like you said it became burn the test no more <laughs> test you know and I was and at that point I was like Whoa, 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 people. Hold up. <laughs> let's let's not throw the baby out with the proverbial bathwater here. This this can be fixed. It has been bad before. Changes have been made before to make it better. It's not in its final form. We can keep moving forward with making necessary adjustments. If it does seem like this particular latent was a problem, uh, then maybe we can take a look at what aspects of this latent made it a problem? Was it not having a core delta and then people not knowing that that means something in this test? Was it the specific set of uh, minutiae and how they're opposing features? And you know, maybe that's still fair, but you know, maybe that's something we need to train more on. Or if everyone who's now failed it, retaken it, has passed, maybe there was something specific with this, uh, with this latent um, that we should try to learn from. Instead of just being like, nope, no more test. Or the other hand of saying, nope, this is exactly what it wants, to, what it needs to be and we're not going to ever change it. Yeah, and, and I'm going to add just one quick thing to this. Part of the anger that was really there on the website is that so many of their, so many people posting, something in their agency was tied into their certification. Yes. In other words, the agency required them to be certified, or uh, if you're certified, you get a certain rate of pay. Um, there was some kind of element of certification in our agency means XYZ above the regular examiner, and now that I'm not certified, I may not be employed anymore. I might lose some money. I'm, and so people were very upset because it wasn't just certification. It was, this is affecting my livelihood. Yes. I get that. That is, I mean, that is a different element, and I understand why emotions might be a little high with that. So that's where kind of things uh, have, have settled out. So uh, the last thing I wanted to bring up uh, from, from my thoughts was what you've been kind of hinting at this whole time is under the glass. I think it's got to be done. Um, the the, the test and, needs and to be know, digital. They, they know this. They get it every time. Again, I put it in my letter to them, like, "Hey guys, come on now." We and and they and they responded by saying, "Oh no, well you can now scan this stuff and use Photoshop." No, nope. that was not clear to me in the instructions. Well, it said you cannot digitally cap. You know, it it said these things, but I misinterpreted. They said, "No, no, we meant you can scan it and document." And and use Photoshop to search, but that was not clear to me, and I didn't I didn't do any of that. But a scan of of a, a shitty printout, and I'm not saying yeah, that yeah, yeah. 
that their printouts are the, shitty. I'm there were saying some shitty printouts. I'm saying all printouts are shitty. That if you have a printout of a latent print yep. that's one to one, it by definition is shitty. There is no good printout that's one to one. That's just, just no, I, not I, exist. I'm, I'm with you. No, I'm absolutely with you. And uh, this this needs to be a digital exam. I am I currently a, a participant in Heidi Eldritch's study on palm prints. Um, and that is entirely digital. It's online. It's through a web browser. Um, and uh, it's it's great. It, it's like a little kind of, you know, getting used to the the Pianos tool because uh, that's why it's set up through Pianos developed by the University of Lausanne. But um, it, it is... Yeah, so it's on. Yeah, it is way better than the printouts that... Um, yeah that we would get heck even the black box paper was was uh was on uh on screen right I mean, th- there are ways to there do are ways it. to do and, it and and there are always ways to get around it and capture things but you can but already seriously. capture the the printouts and, of course you can take you can with your iphone and the minute someone does that they will be in such of an ethics violation absolutely if it gets out that it happens yeah, it, it sucks, but there's there's always ways around it. So at this point, let's just go digital. Let's make this available to people who have now grown up more like your generation of examiner, who basically have really always been using the computer, right? And not not really. But again, you know, their argument is no, no, no. You can you know just now scan these in and it's all that, and it's not good enough. Yeah, I agree with you. It it needs to be in a digital format. And that is where we are today, and you can do so much more. These, and that, and side note, these examiners, these old school examiners that say this crap, I can see so much more under a glass. Nope. You are so full of crap. You're so full of crap. You, of, how would you know if you don't use a digital exam? How would you know if you only look at everything under the glass? You are missing information. I did the study in my thesis. And we found that examiners that used a loop and only a loop were missing 20% information compared to examiners that had enlargements or were able to use digital enlargements. 20% more features were being marked. 20% more idents were being made. 20%. And even just you know looking at the printout, if it's one-to-one, you're, you're printing out at best a 300 DPI image. Um, most most uh, latent print examiners uh, will scan their latent prints in at 1200 dpi which means that you're only printing out 25 percent uh, of the information now here's the thing that's only 25 percent in each direction so you multiply it and you're down to uh, 25 times 25 that is 1 16th of the information available in the latent print uh, 15, 16, you are throwing away. It is insane that any agency still allows examiners to print one-to-one. So I'm going to jump in here with a nerd fact because we tested this with the Noritsu, I don't know, what was it, 1200 or whatever this massive printer was that used a photochemical processing that took digital images but developed them like a photograph. Yes. And that, I think think hit almost 600 dpi and that was with photographic like qualities but still could never reproduce 
the photograph, or of course a large digital image of the 1200. The best it could print, the best printer at the time, and RSNA uses this in their uh, proficiency tests, and other so agencies the that FBI have uses it for all of their pronouns that they poke holes in, as yep. the Noritsu. And 600, 600 DPI at best. And even that, so you take 600, that's half of the 1200 that the latent is theoretically scanned in, and then you yep. multiply it by half again because it's got two directions you're only printing out a quarter of the information you're throwing away 75 percent of the data and yep that's and, just... and that's the best technology i've ever seen although i will tell you that it's pretty it's it's good i mean when it comes to exemplars it's great i mean I, right. I can't tell the difference for the exemplars but for the latent i will always go with the digital image over a printout no matter how good it is absolutely uh, so one thing with under the glass, I, I think another real aspect of this maybe isn't you know what what's been emphasized as you know supervisors, managers, people not doing the casework every day, being the ones that failed it. My actually concern would be more so the people that only compare using APHIS. So if you're mm. only comparing using APHIS, then you may be auto coding and you are definitely doing everything on screen. But you may also be relying on APHIS to present to you the known, oriented in the correct way, and marking up the corresponding points for you. And then you just kind of go from there, deciding whether or not it actually is a match or if it's just a close non-match. But um, this whole searching component and searching under a glass is something that you're just not doing if all your comparisons are done through APHIS. Eric, that is that is a fantastic point. I mean, I, I have to say that that makes a lot of sense to me. Again, as a proponent of case APHIS, I mean, I really do think that in ten years, we none of us will be doing manual comparisons because it's silly. But right now, those examiners who all they do are APHIS entry, and their skill is really comparing APHIS searches, going through the candidate list. You're absolutely right. I. And I'd, be, I'd actually be really curious, could that person even pass the original cert test to begin with? I mean, much less a research test, but... And is that fair to them if they would struggle with the cert test when their real skill is differentiating between identifications and close non-matches, which is a much more valuable skill than manually searching through stacks and stacks? And that goes back to my, you know, my original point is thinking that the cert test is easier because those examiners could just for three uh, of the fifteen that require that just searching, 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 mm. they yeah, get to skip point. it, and as opposed to the research test where they have to to do it. Now, yeah, I see I'm, your point. No, that, not, that's a fair point. I'm not saying that it's you know right or wrong. I'm just saying it should be the same for the certain research not saying that it's you know wrong to require this and maybe that's what the field wants to do is still test for this searching component and that's fine all i'm saying is that the difficulty level from the cert to the research should be the same yeah that's a good point i that's fair so i think we've uh, we've kind of well actually we haven't even really covered everything in here there's still more to talk about but i think we we've covered enough for this episode of the podcast i agree i i think we got our opinions out there and people can read the board and see how people lost their damn minds on that but they got really upset but 
again, livelihoods, and exactly. you, know, you can see where pe- you can see where people are coming from. I, I want to say on on both sides. I I first fully thank Carl for posting this and getting this discussion going in the first place. That's that's fair. I uh, definitely want him to thank him for that. I know he's taken a lot of heat over this, and I. Honestly, I think some of it was deserved because of how crazy things got on the message board and how the comments went very negative into just, you know, let's burn the test to the ground. I, I, I think if things had stayed focused more on just improvements, that things would have gone better. Um, but yeah. um, while, uh, like I said, some of it I think maybe deserved, I, I think most of it was, was unfair. And, and and credit to the board, how they handled it at the IAI. Uh, I I thought I mean I I thought they took a lot of criticism with grace and admittedly they can't jump on the board and defend themselves. Exactly. But I I think they prepared very well at the II, knowing what they were getting into, and were really transparent about sharing the images, sharing the data. Like this is this is our, but they were also firm, as in, yeah, we're not changing though because we feel this is appropriate. We hear what you're saying, but as long as we go with. And here's the point that you've been making. As long as we're going with this style of test, this approach, this testing mechanism, we are going to stick with this because we think it's the right thing. And I agree with them. I think it's tough but fair. At the end of the day, you and I both agree maybe we should be testing other aspects of the examination besides manual searches when – I believe manual searches that is that in ten years will be a thing of the past. With things like a case aphis and automated approaches, there's no need to be doing manual searches. Who cares if you can find it or not? Let the computer find you. Can you make accurate decisions? And you and I both agree that's all that really matters in the world of latent prints. That that is the most important thing. So Oh, and can and can you document them appropriately and yes. defend them? In court? Yes, yes, and and that's what matters, right? So, um, like, I very much thank Carl for getting this started. Have some criticism for him on where things went, but overall, uh, don't think that a lot of the criticism that he's received is entirely fair. I'll, I'll say the same thing about the latent print certification board. I don't think a lot of the crap they got on the board was fair. However. I think that they they really should take a hard look at how to make this test more appropriate, more even yeah. between the cert and the research test, and more clear cut of what kind of standards they're they're using for the exclusion decision, and not punishing the erroneous exclusion decision as harshly as the erroneous identification decision. So, um, yeah, no, and, and I appreciate your views on that, Eric. I, I think again, you've get, you've given some good suggestions. It, it's I, I want to <laughs> criticize and compliment both uh, both sides for lots of different reasons on all this. So. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's not it's not clear cut, and it's a complex issue. And I, I mean, I, I think you know everyone agrees. We see the some issues up ahead. We're just unsure about how how to resolve them. But yeah. I, I think this is a great discussion point. And again, you're right. Thanks to Carl for getting the discussion going. Let's keep it level headed and make it a positive <laughs> discussion. Right. We want to thank Idemia for sponsoring this episode and uh, ask everyone to follow us at Double Loop Pod. 
if you have any questions for us, you want to chime in and uh, uh, have your thoughts on this, uh, you know, relayed to yeah. the rest of the podcast uh, audience on our next episode. Oh, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Absolutely. If you took the test, if you failed the test, passed the test, we'd love to hear your comments. Please jump in on this, and we'd be happy to read them anonymously if, if you can share. And uh, we know that there's other points that have been brought up that we didn't get a chance to cover, but obviously this episode's long enough as it is. Uh, but write to us, eric at rayforensics.com or glenn at eliteforensicservices.com. Your now only method to contact Glenn over email. <laughs> no, oh, yeah, that's no right. No longer your BCA yep. uh, yeah. email address. So remember, the the opinions that we uh, express here you know, belong to us. Obviously now really much, much so much for Glenn. Um, but, <laughs> Damn uh, straight. That is me and my company. Uh, but for me, uh, it, it's not of any agency that I may work for currently. Make sure you follow us on Stitcher, SoundCloud, or on iTunes. Give us some good ratings please uh, consider supporting us on patreon where we're definitely looking to uh, improve and grow uh, get some new equipment that's that's kind of how the the podcast world works is uh, you get some listeners they like what you do and they support it on patreon um, so with that i'll sign off and talk to you guys next time bye everybody have a good week bye.